Ariel, listen to me. The human world, it's a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. Oh, I've got to say, she is beautiful. I know, right? How does it feel to go so deep? Exciting, like we're marines in the hunt for Red October. Greyhound. The Wolf's Call, also known as Le Chant de Loup in the original French. Hunter-killer. Uh, K-19, the Widowmaker. All right, all right, we get it. Shut up or get in das boot. Oh, nice. So can I have a joystick? It'll be like couch co-op. Ah, oh, those were the days. Ah, no, sorry. It's single player. You can take the controls, though. Just be gentle. None of your gung-ho jerking about willy-nilly. I never jerk willy. Supple movements. Think sensitivity 10. More Microsoft Flight Simulator. Less Burnout Revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Visibility's a bit poor. Can't we put the blower on? Everyone will be getting steamy Titanic vibes. No, I haven't got the upgrade yet. Wipe it with a cloth for now. Ah, oh, that's better. Ah, oh, now I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but that drill arm looks ideal for mining minerals. Thanks, yeah. Took inspiration from the prawn suit. Just don't push the button to start it. What? This button? Crimson Tide! You just mutilated that child! Quick, dive deeper. The lifeguard's coming. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Stop saying that. Sorry, I'm all edgy now. I get claustrophobic in tight spaces anyway. Warning. Maximum depth reached. Hull damage imminent. Warning. Hull breach detected. What was that? We hit the bottom. Already? Yeah. Still not convinced the leisure centre was the best place to try out this new submarine of yours. Well, that's baby steps, isn't it? East Radnor Leisure Centre now. But next time, I don't know, the wave machine in Hereford, the London Olympic pool, Aqua World. Are you planning on entering the ocean at all? Hold your seahorses. This is homemade. I'm not James Cameron, I'm Teo. And I'm not the Gerard Butler? I'm Ben. Doesn't really work. Nah. But this is... Pixel Vision! Alright, let's get some reaction. What's the game we're talking about, Teo? It is Subnautica Below Zero. And you're not going to launch into your Teo monologue straight away? No. Because we've definitely got some debriefing to do on initial reactions. We do, yeah. So what's your key takeaway? I mean, it's just the amazing game that I remember Subnautica being. Again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a fair assessment. It definitely is. I do think this is a more accessible game than the first one. And I'm not sure if that's just because I'm much more familiar with the way it all works now. I'm pretty sure in the first game, my first playthrough was like 40 plus hours, maybe even 50 hours. Yeah. And I would say like the solid first half of that, I was still in the shallows. I was just figuring out how to do stuff. (laughs) I was terrified to go deep. For instance, I didn't even know you could get your thermal blade out and start slashing at plants to get little chunks of them and stuff. Whereas in this game, obviously I knew all that from its predecessor. And so... Maybe that was a factor in why it was so much more accessible. But simultaneously, I just think they designed it in a much more accessible manner. They were thinking about 
how the average mainstream audience would receive it. Interesting. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. You're bringing all of your experience and your learning from the first game to this just straight away because essentially it is the same game in a different place. Nothing that you learn in the first game isn't also applicable in this. And so you're straight away feel like you've got a leg up as a player of the previous game, for sure. Mm. Immediately, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do first. This is what I'm going to do second. Head for this, head for this. Yeah. yeah, totally. Even just as soon as I landed in the water, I was thinking to myself, right, scout out a good location for a starting base. Like, I obviously hadn't yet seen all of the things I was going to uncover in terms of blueprints that I could build for my base, but I kind of knew what they were going to be. So I was already thinking ahead to like, oh, where's probably going to be mineral rich, where there might be an energy source, like all this kind of stuff, which obviously is an advantage you didn't have in the first game. But having said all that, if you'd never played the first game, would you say this is a game to go to first? Would you enjoy it as much if you'd never played the first game? Mm, I don't know. Could you come to it cold, let's say, given its Arctic setting? (laughs) Yeah, you could say that. No, I think it still would be difficult. There's like a few quality of life additions. Just having this kind of static map even is the biggest one of those, even though it's still pretty rudimentary. Yeah, I don't know. We'll get on to, I guess as well, how much you use the internet in a game like this, because there's quite a few bits of handholding, which it just doesn't give you like a map, which for the first game, the internet provided those tools for you. Mm. I didn't use them until like 30 hours in. But once you do use them, you're like, wow, how did I get along without it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's get your tear monologue so that people who haven't played the first and don't know what this one's about get some idea of why we're both so passionately enthusiastic about it. Yeah, we love this game, don't we? But also, I'm wondering if I can throw a spanner in the works here and say, can you also give us a slight abbreviated, abridged tear monologue of the first game as well? <sighs> yeah, I'll try. The series is Subnautica, and we're playing the second instalment, Below Zero. Initially, it was meant to just be an expansion for the first game, but rapidly turned out it was too big for just an expansion, so it's become a standalone game. However, yeah, set in the same universe. In the first Subnautica, this massive spaceship crash lands on a aqua world. You are the only survivor. Your mission initially is to survive and eventually find a way to escape, but on your way to doing that, you discover essentially it's kind of like a bacterium which infects your body and you have to figure out how to cure yourself as well as escape but you know pretty light on the story that game there's some beautiful set piece moments such as when a ship comes to rescue you and doesn't rescue you which is really nice but apart from that pretty low on story and mostly just about exploration brings us on to subnautica below zero which is a lot more heavy on story so the first game did have a lot of story which is told through these sort of like logs and data entries that you find and like you scan all the different plants and all the different flora and fauna and can read about them but there's less voices in this one there's a lot more voices a lot more characters you are robin 
who doesn't work for Altera, the big bad corp that's part of the subnautical world, and you're finding your sister Sam, or what remains of your sister Sam, on yet another aqua world, but this time a frozen one. And yeah, it's a crafting survival game, so you have a futuristic kind of Star Trek style generators to what's the best way to call it 3d print all your equipment essentially once you've found the right resources to do it i think that'll do as a summary what do you think yeah very nice mate yeah i think you've got a solo podcast in you <laughs> that was brilliant that was a great job can we get a round of applause <laughs> you did ask me to do two games <laughs> no no i did that no i'm being serious like that sounded disingenuous and sarcastic but in actual fact i was being 100 percent serious that was good okay okay great Nice work. So yeah, it's open world. Yeah. Big world. <laughs> yeah, big world. But although it's massive, it's, it's an ocean, right? So you can cross from one end to the other in, I don't know, like five minutes. Mm. It's this crazy illusion that open world games have. I remember watching a YouTube video once where like, even the biggest world games, it just like measures how long they are, like corner to corner. And it's like no time at all. But yet you feel like you're in this massive world. Subnautica, the same, but you've got all this below you as well. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, because it's like compounded here. Because in a normal game, you can explore horizontally, but that's it. You are on a surface the whole time. And so it's like running around a tabletop, for instance. Whereas with this, at the risk of throwing in a banality too early, I kind of thought of it as like, you know, when you see one of those spy drones in some like military movie, some camera disguised as a fly or something like that, the operator navigates it into the terrorist's building. What's happening? I don't know. Hey, Matt, what's going on? We got a beetle inside that house and we're seeing a bunch of people we don't like. And then once it's in there, they don't know where the terrorist activity is. So they have to fly around like every inch of the building, sort of scouting it out. And they can go up the stairs into different rooms, explore every level and every layer of the building, every floor of the building can be explored in much the same way as this has a vertical sort of, you start in the shallows and then you go 100 meters, 200 meters, you unlock upgrades to go 300, 400, all the way down till you're like a kilometer below the surface of the ocean. And also in the same way, you're sort of hearing snippets of conversation. You're unlocking audio logs and developing a picture of what's been going on inside this building mm. or ocean. <laughs> I'm taking it too far. Forget the banality. <laughs> now we're just in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, but like, it's the same thing I felt with the first one. And to my knowledge, it still hasn't been done since. I mean, there are a few games set in the sea, but you're just like, what? how hasn't this been done before? It's two kilometers-ish, maybe like from corner to corner. And then like a kilometer down as well. So like you say, in terms of 3D space that you can move around in, it's just... Yeah, like every other game like pales in comparison to it, for sure. I mean, there's definitely been some recent... Not mimics, I don't want to say they're like copycats or anything, but there are some other games who have clearly been influenced by this sort of ocean setting. Raft springs to mind. And what's the other one I'm thinking of? Stranded Deep. Oh yeah, that's it. Stranded Deep. Yeah. Both games I would love to play and haven't yet, but I'd say they're clearly emulating what's proven to be a super successful formula with this game. In much the same way as The Forest did, to some extent, but The Forest obviously did it on land in a forest mm. i'd kind of forgotten or i didn't see subnautica's influence because it had been a while since i played it in the forest but it's clearly there in those cave systems right but it still again is like so limited compared to the wide ocean so you start and you really do just have 
what is it in this one? You've got you've actually got an escape pod in both mm. games, haven't you? Yeah. And within your escape pod, you've got your fabricator machine, which is the 3D printer to reference previously. And you've got, I think you start with a hand scanner, don't you? Do you start with that or do you have to create? I don't even think so. I think you have to create everything. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe you have to create that as well. I think you start with like a nutrient block and a bottle of water. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Because, because it's also a survival game. There's tiers of difficulty that you choose from a starting menu as to whether you want to play it like free roam no sort of threat whatsoever whether you want to play it with i can't remember what they're called now but the full-on survival is like you need to eat constantly you need to drink so you've got hydration and starvation as factors but then there's a sort of more normal roam mode i don't know what it's called but probably exploration mode, isn't it? Maybe it's exploration, yeah. Which is kind of what I opt for, both in this game and in the last one, which takes out the having to stay alive from food and water. A wise choice. Did you not do that? I didn't, no, I did in the first one. Um, I did just go for that exploration in the first one, but this one, I basically read some stuff about being on survival mode, which makes some things in the game kind of like feel a bit more significant. So like all the different fish that you can catch for food and plants that you can grow for, again, food. (laughs) It means there's a bit more like purpose to certain elements of the game. And I wanted to feel that. Ended up not feeling it at all because I didn't have time to like grow my potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in the end, it was just a chore. So you didn't enjoy the survival element with food and water? It was just a pointless chore, yeah. I would have got further in the game if it hadn't been there. It's not where its strength is, I don't think. It's not poorly done. It's the same as every other survival game. But Mm. because I want to explore so much more in this, it feels like it's taken away from that. I know what you mean, though, because there's one base that you discover... I mean, I actually discovered it annoyingly late, but I think you're meant to discover it fairly early, which is only a couple of hundred metres below the surface, and there's exterior grow beds there, mm. and you haven't really encountered them until then. And at that base, if I'd have been needing food, I'd have been like, oh my God, thank God I've discovered this thing that I can now produce and use. But obviously I wasn't, so I was just kind of like, huh, some grow beds. <laughs> Also, I just got along quite well on, like, the number of nutrient blocks that you find and a bit of salted fish. Like, they definitely do put some emphasis on that. Like, pretty much every story point or, like, that base, like you said, Mm. or some of the other more significant bases have these, like, plants in which you can grow and have edible fruits on. Yeah, and air purification filters, sorry, water purification filters. Yeah. And you find little caches which in a game like I played, when they contained a nutrient block or water or whatever, that was just a pointless discovery. I felt disappointed every time I opened one of those and it was just food or water. Yeah. Whereas I imagine for you, it was like, thank God. Well, when you saw a battery, you were like, oh yes, a battery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, to begin with, until you got batteries coming out of your ass and then yeah, yeah. you need surgery. Let's talk about the environment because... One of the key things to find in this, it's called Below Zero, not just because you're underwater, but because you're in sub-zero temperatures. It's Arctic environment, Mm. icebergs, floating ice sheets, snowy mountains, an incredible aurora. Is it a reference to the ship in the first game, the aurora? Possibly, more likely not. It's there. It looks (laughs) cool. Shimmers beautifully as you emerge from beneath the water. It's good. And there's blizzards as well, right? And it's a lot more land-based. So when you get onto an iceberg or an ice sheet, there are caves there that you can explore as well. There are land-based creatures like the... Like the penglings. (laughs) 
which we'll get on to. Snow Stalker. The Snow Stalker is what I was trying to go for, yeah. And there's some sort of epic Leviathan creature, like Ice Worm or something. Yeah, didn't manage to get a scan on that. I was too fearful, but I'm sure it's possible. No, I didn't manage to get a scan, but I actually think... I'm not sure you're able to get a scan. Ah, come on. You can scan everything in this game. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. <laughs> I don't know, man. I was in a situation where that ice worm was just definitely scannable. Like, it was right there in front of me. Uh, oh, no. I know what it is. Very minor spoiler. I mean, very minor, because we've talked about the ice worm. But you can scan the ice worm, but not while it's alive. Ah, uh, yeah, I got its bones. I think I got its bones. Okay, well, yeah, I think that's the scan that you get. And it tells you all about it, right? That's true, yeah, that's true. Because I definitely was at a situation where, literally, that ice worm couldn't go anywhere. And I was next to it, and I wasn't dying. And I was just holding the scan button, and it wasn't picking up. And I was like, hmm, you can't scan this. And so I guess it's because you can scan the remains instead. Did the ice worm bug out? It's very possible the ice worm was bugging out. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> cutie! Want a pollinate with a real bug? Sal! Being a ladybug automatically makes me a girl! Is that it, Flyboy? Huh? Yikes! She's a guy! I love that I tried to sort of circumvent that. I went to like epic lengths to just frame this like a natural occurrence, and you're just looking at me like. Did it bug? Was there a game? Yeah. <laughs> we should make the confession, shouldn't we? This game was technically in early access when we were playing it. Don't frame it like a confession, because by the time everyone's listening to this, it's out of early access. It's a released game. We waited until their penultimate patch. So the next release will be the actual release of the game. So the only thing we missed out on is the ending, mm. which we actually discussed and thought was quite good because it means we can't properly spoil it. Mm. I mean, we can pretty much spoil it if we wanted to, but we can't properly spoil it because we haven't seen the ending. We've just hit an invisible wall. I'm assuming you have as well. Not quite. Well, you'll tell me if I'm there or not, um, closer to the end. But yeah, my understanding is as well, it's feature complete and it's just missing a bit of story and a few like bug fixes, mm. such as the one for your worm, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But actually, as an easy access game, it was unbelievably smooth. Like I was fully expecting there to be way more jank than there was. The only thing I would say, which probably won't be relevant for anyone by the time they're listening to this, but pissed me off is that I played it on GeForce Now, which was generally fine. Mm. But while I was playing it, they removed the ability to do cloud save. And my plan was to play it both locally on my actual computer. Then when I was out and about also play it on GeForce Now, but I couldn't do that because they removed the cloud save sync. So instead, once I started on GeForce Now, I had to only play it on GeForce Now, which was annoying, but I understand that that won't be the case when it's actually released. So Ah, so that was a thing that happened for Subnautica. So that's if the cloud save thing is game by game, is it? The cloud sync thing on Steam is like you save your game and then wherever you log in on any Steam machine, mm. as long as you log into your account, you can pick up where you left off rather than relying on a local save, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all Cool. Well, before that, what were we talking about? The world, right? The immense world that you get to explore. How did it compare to the first game for you? If I'm honest, 
both are just breathtaking. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those games where I'm excited now thinking about it. Like, I'm genuinely thrilled at the prospect of getting back in and exploring some more, even though I've thoroughly explored this world. Because the biomes differ so drastically. And the colour, man, it's like being in Avatar. Mm. You know, when all those luminous plants... It's actually... Do you know what it's like? It's like the Zen homeworld, <laughs> but underwater. Yeah, it is. A little Half-Life reference. If you didn't listen to our Black Mesa episode, you should have, but you're forgiven. That was what I was referencing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's a really good comparison. It is like that. Every biome is so different and beautiful in its own way. And the colour and layer, the luminescence. Like sometimes you forget because you, you're in your, your sea truck with its like beaming headlights. And maybe you're like, ah, oh, things aren't that good. And then you turn off your lights and it's like, bam, everything like lights up in front of you. And I don't know, you can see all the contrast between the, the corals and and plants and the darkness of the ocean. Yeah, and things respond to you. Like, when you come towards them, they're like, oh, the soundscape as well, the epic soundscape. Like, everything mm. makes a noise and sounds alive. And when you're underwater, there's this constant sense that you are tiny <laughs> because yeah. the, the ocean is making so much noise around you. Like, for instance, one of the things... I can't remember if they did this in the first game, but I don't think they did, certainly not as much as they did in this game, is the, like, underwater supplies of oxygen. So most of the time, you obviously have to... You start with just your breath, and then you create yourself a little tank, and it's very basic, and it's, like, I don't know, 40 seconds underwater or something, probably not even that long. And fuck me, those early moments while you're scavenging, and you're constantly... It's like, dive back up, dive back up. That's the grind section of the game. But in this game... And it's another area where I feel like they've made it more accessible is they've given you these oxygen plants that have oxygen. like these bubbles. And so when you swim down, you can activate them, inhale their oxygen. They deplete and sort of shrink and close up in front of you in a really cool animation. And then over time, they replenish and they refill. And you can see that happen, which is really cool as well. And the same with hoop fish, which are these like giant fish that are just in a hoop and they generate oxygen somehow. Yeah. <laughs> with them, they, they give you a little sort of up and down because it's like you can swim to them and grab their oxygen, but they also have these little sort of piranha fish that swim around them that have a symbiotic relationship with them <laughs> and they defend the oxygen fish from you swimming towards it, which was never much of a threat, but you know, nice, nice touch. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice touch. They did it a little bit in the first game. There was some like classic little bubble cracks if i remember rightly but yeah it feels a lot more uh, curated in this one especially for exploring the cave systems which are too big to get your machine into and the wrecks of other spaceships as well um that felt much much better yeah and the mining site for instance ah the mining site yeah the first time you visit the mining site without the prawn suit that's really intense isn't it <laughs> so intense man alive i think because that's actually one of the areas where they don't put that many oxygen plants no and so i was honestly i was doing that because as you get to the end of your oxygen your screen starts to fade to black and the number of times I could see the oxygen plant in front of me and I was just going for it and my screen was going black and black and then it would like, 20 seconds more oxygen. And I was like, thank God. 
<laughs> Next one. 30 seconds. I watched a really good, um, if people don't know it, it's definitely worth checking out. People make games on YouTube. They do uh, little videos about the stories behind the people that make different video games. They did one on that recently, and apparently that was a bug that was in the game, the first game, by accident. It was meant to be you just die when it hit black, but it turned out there was like a little bit of extra time so that as your like oxygen gets to zero, your screen goes black and then you have this like, <gasps> as you reach the surface. So you're not sure like when exactly you've died or not. Yeah, and because players loved it so much, they kept it. Yeah, I love that. That's really cool. Yeah. Been doing your research here. Impressive. Uh, yeah. Well, well, it just seemed relevant and I really love that channel. And you played the game. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a double whammy. <laughs> I binged the game to get up to hope, hopefully where you are, but I hope this isn't going to be another forest episode at the end. Where you're nah, like, well, nah, nah, let me tell you, <laughs> that is nowhere near the end. <laughs> no, no. I've got a question, though, about hmm. two things that you would think a water-based game might include. Uh -huh. I feel like in the first game, their absence was fine because there was so much else going on and it was the first game and blah 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 but i feel like in this game i'm curious as to whether they just didn't want to implement them i feel like they must have discussed implementing them and those things are currents mm. and tights which i mean i guess overlap maybe that's just currents but who knows because i feel like the whole thing takes place in the water and it would make sense for there to be places in the water where there's some sort of current, particularly around the heat sources, for instance, where you mm. would definitely get epic, like, convectional movements. Not mm. physicists, as we know, but I'm sure there's stuff like that going on. Convectional. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's certain places in the game, I'm thinking of that particularly beautiful biome, fairly deep with all the cotton plants in where you see all those bubbles like swooshing around. Mm. Although the bubbles are like swooshing and you can see the cotton plants kind of moving about in the water, it has no effect on you at all. Even when you're out of your, your sea truck and you're just standing there, you're just going to be stationary. And yeah, the, the waves on the surface, you're totally right. I didn't clock it. But like you said, compared to the first game, which is set on a permanently sunny planet, which is always mm -hmm. blue skies. With tropical islands in and sandy beaches. It is, yeah. Apart from your island, there's just this escape pod in the vastness of the ocean. This one, there's these massive blizzards and it's really cool when it's blizzarding because somehow the water is really warm, even though it's like sub-zero temperatures outside. Yeah, we're going to get onto that. <laughs> Don't know why. But anyway, you, when the hail's coming down, they like come into the water and sort of like dissolve in this really satisfying like you see the projectile into the sea don't you on the surface mm -hmm. and that's done really really well and modeled really well yeah the animation's beautiful yeah yeah and also when you're on the surface and the blizzards really take off like you literally can't see where you're going mm. it's actually frustrating at times you're like okay guys i get it it's a blizzard i need to see where i'm going <laughs> yeah when that first happened i was genuinely a bit awed by it and i was like really disconcerted because like Teo says, you're fighting hypothermia when you're on the surface. So until you unlock the cold suit later in the game, which even then it just keeps you warm for longer, a little bit like having an oxygen tank. Mm. Up until then, you've got 30 seconds or so before you just freeze to death of hypothermia and your character starts like rubbing their fingers together and like blowing on the, their hands and stuff. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice so on the temperature thing, I think it's that when you jump into the water, your suit, because it's a wetsuit, 
So like your body temperature warms the suit, right? And because of whatever technology they're using, it actually keeps you warmer in the water than it would outside. Because they reference it, right? At the beginning of the game, they say something like, your thermal regulated suit is, I don't know. That might be true, but like it looks like a tropical ocean, doesn't it? Like in the shallows. And then you literally have the temperature gauge once you get the sea truck, so you can see the temperature it is. And it says like 10 degrees, which is, I guess, not super warm. But then you get to some places and it's like 20, 30. It's hot, damn hot, real hot. Hot of this is my shorts. I can cook things in it. Little crotch pot cooking. Well, can you tell me what it feels like? Fool, what is hot? I told you again. Were you born on the sun? It's damn hot. You can be a little thing. I saw it so damn hot. I saw one of those little guys in the orange robe burst into flames. It's that hot. You know what I'm talking about. Well, what do you think it's going to be like tonight? It's going to be hot and wet. That's nice if you're with a lady, but it ain't no good if you're in the jungle. So waves on the surface, crashing of waves, you'd expect, especially during blizzards and stuff. Like mm. They've got falling icicles that shatter around you when you're on land and things like yeah. that. But you don't see crashing waves. It's quite an inanimate yeah. ocean in a way. It's mm. not swelling, it's not rising and falling. And I feel like they could have been quite creative like that in much the same way as, uh, what's the space game we played, Outer... I'm going to get it wrong. Outer Worlds? Outer Wilds. Outer Wilds, damn Outer it. Outer Wilds, Teo, you screwed it up. Every time. Um, <laughs> Shouldn't have been so confident. Outer Wilds, you know where like the sand on that sand planet is slowly diminishing and it reveals mm. things from underneath. Like they could have done a similar thing with tides um, with mm. this, I think. And I'm wondering if they did consider all of that stuff and just think, do you know what? Like we've already got shit tons going on. Uh, it's not going to add a massive amount and it'll be a fuck to code. Yeah. Well, don't want to overplay my research here, but another thing <laughs> that they said on that People Make Games Do you episode, have a uh, degree or two? So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is nothing to do with that, but sure. Is that um, the massive Leviathan class creatures in the game, which are some of the most like scary and awe-inspiring moments is when you discover them for the first time. Initially, in the first Subnautica game, weren't meant to be in there because the lead designers thought it would be too much code to model and the game would not be able to run them properly if you were like having all these creatures modeled in the background so yeah maybe that lead designer's still around <laughs> wait <laughs> wait so you're saying that because they were so impressive and on such a massive scale they consumed loads of in-game resources or something that's what he said yeah and that's why they're quite sparsely populated in the world Mm. Oh, I just thought that was a sort of design decision in terms of like creating a threat factor of like there could be one and you don't know when you're going to uncover one. One of the designers said they made made it a horror game by mistake because they didn't mean for it to be at all. That's so cool. Because it's in early access, you can um, submit feedback. And at the heights of early access, they're literally getting like these feedback reports from players every second. And then, like, you can map each one. It's a public API, so you can go and, like, see all the feedbacks yourself. Yeah, I'm not going to do that, but that's cool. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Glyden. Why? But, yeah, like, they have masses and masses. <laughs> Give me the comic book. <laughs> Professor Frank, Professor Frank, make you laugh, make you think about them thing. <laughs> oh, man. On the Leviathan thing, it's funny that you say, well, it's not funny, but the fact that you say they're like so impressive, I had literally just started writing because the whole way through that I was playing this game, I was in my head, you just can't not compare it to your first experience of the first Mm. game. And so I just started writing how like, as much as I love this game, I don't think it took my breath away quite as much. Like it didn't have the same stunning moments. And I was 
literally mid-writing that when I found the Frozen Leviathan. Do you know the one I'm on about? I know of it, but I never actually found it. Oh, really? Yeah. Shit, it is going to be like the forest. No, I read about it in all the logs, and it's in land, right? Yeah. I searched for it high and low, but I couldn't find it. Oh, it is a bit of a bitch to get to, actually, yeah. Man, when I found that, I out loud said, wow, because... Oh, damn. You know when you just experience something? I didn't think it'd be that impressive. (laughs) Yeah, it was that impressive, man. It was so good. Ah, yeah. Just memories. (laughs) Memories Press between the pages of my mind The reason that's a fucker to get to is because it's on land, but it's also really far away on land. So you have to get on land and then traverse the land for ages. And the game has tried to be like, hey, yeah, we're not just all about oceans, we're also about icebergs and it's given you this new craft called the snow fox is it called the snow fox yeah which i guess is kind of like a little hovercraft that buzzes around yeah hover bike my question to you is did you use it did you like it was there any value in it Nah, didn't use it didn't even craft it mate literally didn't even craft it i never saw a functioning snow fox in my entire playthrough of that game no, me neither. I was just happy exploring on foot. And I don't know, it didn't really seem to fit with the exploration flow, did it? No, because also your bases are like underwater, right? Yeah. Not on land. So the fact that you could only build the snow fox on land and it still required like charging and it still required loads of the materials that you would need underwater just seemed like a faff mm. when I already had a prawn suit and I could just, you know, like one of the mechs in Iron Harvest. Mm. And there's stuff to mine on land as well as undersea, which is like one of the main things the prawn suit does for you. Mm-hmm. So you're not even encouraged to use a different vehicle, are you? Although there again, another area I think this game's more accessible is I never really felt short on resources. I never felt like, oh, fuck, I've got to go all the way back to that one biome to get this one thing because there were so many resources everywhere, especially one of the ways it does this is it has these like crevices, these cracks. So you'll be exploring a cave and then there'll just be a cracked bit of rock and inside it is a shit ton of copper and silver or something like that, or magnetite. Uh Whereas I remember getting to magnetite in the first game was terrifying because there were these sort of snaky pink worms that were flying around and you had to get below them to get to the magnetite. Oh, yeah. Next to these, like, giant sort of tulip plants. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten about those. You didn't even see them when you first entered because they were inside the plants and then as you approached, they'd, like, come out of the plant. Fuck, it was scary. I'd completely erase those whereas in this the first bit of magnetite i found was just literally in a cave while i was strutting about and what annoyed me is that one of the innovations in this game and i i caveat that because i'm not sure how much of an innovation it is is that they've basically created some little caves which you can only get into as a pengling as a little robot pengling that's like one of the spy penglings and i'm not being funny but don't you think these are the equivalent of the Baby Yoda or the fucking Jar Jar Binks? Mr. God Jar Jar Binks, Mr. Your Humble Servant. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. It is demanded by the gods, it is. Stay down. You saved my again. They're these little cutesy things that squeak a bit, don't really do anything. You get the spy penguin, pengling rather, 
it's a fucker to build. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but you know, you have to go out of your way to do it. And then once you get it, you think, yeah, I've seen loads of these little holes into cave systems. Now I can finally enter them. And then your little penguin goes in and just discovers more of the same. In only one penguin hole <laughs> did I discover something I couldn't have accessed otherwise. And it was one audio log. And, you know, it was fine. But I had entered like 20 of those caves by then. And I was like, this is fucking annoying. I've gone out of my way to access this cave and you're giving me quartz. <laughs> Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I swear, man, my brother, man, my brother, my brother Richard's gonna talk to you. Man. I heard Richard. Don't waste my motherfucking time! Yeah, uh, you definitely have enough quartz by the time you've got the, the pengling. Yeah, no, I didn't think it was an amazing innovation at all. Jar Jar Binks, like, maybe that's a bit harsh. It's quite nice as a way to get the fur from the snow stalkers, because that's the only thing I used it for. That's the main use, isn't it? But the game doesn't really tell you you need to do that. That did take me ages and ages to figure out as well. I fucking killed a snow stalker. Yeah, same. So. Yeah, and I still couldn't get its fur. I was like, it's yeah. lying in front of me, a warm corpse. I could mutilate it with enough time. I could wear its fucking fur. <laughs> Why can't I take a couple of tufts? Yeah, we must have had exactly the same thought of process with that. I was like, where am I getting this fur from? And then like got one into an advantageous position where I could sort of hit it a few times and back off before it could swipe at me. Because you're not, you're not really meant to be able to kill the threats in the game. Nah. Definitely not. Yeah, like uh, one, like eventually for the sea truck, which is the main vehicle you use for traversing the sea, you get like a perimeter defense upgrade. And at that point, you can like charge into these beasts, which have been annoying you for the rest of the game and just like kill them instantly. <laughs> Did you try to do that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't go out of my way to charge at them. I wasn't like cruel, you know. As soon as I got that, I was like, mm, well, let's see what it can do. <laughs> it's their like roadkill and they're like, oh, bit sad, really. <laughs> yeah, the perimeter upgrade or defense upgrade, it does take away quite a lot of the threat of the game, actually. Mm. I mean, if I'm honest, the threat is psychological. Oh, yeah. As soon as you recognize you're not actually in any danger, then there isn't really a threat. And yeah. once you're in the deep with the Shadow Leviathan or whatever it's called, it is massive and it makes very unpleasant noises. It's really cool to watch swim around. And it's, I mean, they've gone to town with their models. Fair play. Proceed with caution. A Leviathan class creature is near. One of the things we'll talk about a later with base building probably, but it took me ages and eight, like so long to decide where I wanted my base. I just couldn't find like the perfect spot. Because in the first game, I built my base straight away and I always regretted it because it was in a bit of a shitty location. So this one, I did the exact opposite. But yeah, I ended up building my base like right down deep in the purple crystals with a view of the Shadow Leviathan from like an observatory. It was really cool. Me too, mate. No way. <laughs> Literally me too. The exact same location. Oh, man. <laughs> Completely unoriginal. But that was my second base because I had a like two pronged. I was like, I'll build a base that's like my functional one, not really fussed mm. by it, didn't think about its layout much, just thought like, this is going to be the place I come back to while I'm getting some depth. And then as soon as I had depth, I built a base, which I called the Deep Sea Base, which was next to the Shadow Leviathan, exactly where you just described. And I also built an observatory, which... And 
annoyingly, so I'm not sure how many of these things they just kept in because they were in the first game, but like, it gives you a glass room observatory. So the observatory is like a ball. It's like a glass ball that is really fucking fragile, it seems, and undermines your base structure by several points, like your base integrity, right? So you Mm. need to have built loads of foundations and stuff. But then you can also just put a glass ceiling on your regular room that's cheaper. Yeah, which I also did, yeah. (laughs) And a a much bigger room, because it's like a large room, new for this game. Yeah. And that's way more practical. I was like, why didn't I just do that? It would save me a load of money. Why did they even include the observatory? It's not quite as cool, I don't think, as the observatory. Like, it's nice to have, like, a little tunnel going out of your main room into your observatory. For a step. I I like the observatory. I like the observatory. (laughs) You're why they kept it in, mate. I can't believe we built... I bet you our bases just looked exactly the same. (laughs) We both had the same ideas. I thought I was being really original and and you'd have like built your base soon and like, I don't know, whatever. And I'd have taken my time and found the perfect location, but not so much. I love the way that even while you're playing the game, you're condescending me. Like, oh yeah, Ben will have just built some shady little base near the surface. Oh, Ben, too scared to go deep. Oh, go by the shadow Leviathan. And then we sit down and we've done the exact same thing. Yeah, well, great minds. What, what can we say? Great minds. Um, yeah. But going back to the threat, even though it's psychological, and even though I knew it was psychological from the first game, for the first, I don't know, like first five hours or something like that, it still really had me with the, the soundscape and all these kind of like groans and like screeches in the background like echoing through your speakers warning passing 200 meters oxygen efficiency greatly decreased and it's not even permadeath if you die you get put back to your base and you lose a few items like it's not even that bad if you die Mm. but still that being said I, I hated dying yeah, I mean, it was annoying. I always reloaded. How did you do that? Oh, you have to, you have to quit, quit the game. out and reload, yeah. Uh, yeah but I mean, it, I, in hindsight, I don't think it was worth it. It saves you like a couple of minutes. Yeah. I mean, I didn't yet mention the tragedy that happened while I was playing uh, this game. yeah. Which is that I lost eight hours of gameplay from fucking GeForce Now and its duff save system. Mm. It's a testament to Subnautica that I played on because honestly any other game while you're playing it imagine you've just spent like eight hours of gameplay doing it and then someone's just like I take all that away and you've got to do it again a lesser game I'd have just walked away from I'd have been like well I've got enough to review it that's fine Mm. but with this I was like "Ah, that's fucking annoying but I've got another eight hours in the world of Subnautica (laughs) yeah it's it is ghouling i remember as a kid it used to break my heart when i lost a save game and lost hours and hours of progress anyway sorry we've digressed a little bit we were talking about um breathtaking moments and the and the lack of them but that was interesting because i'd say i had about as many breathtaking moments in this as i did in the first game especially the cotton plant area i absolutely loved and there was another bit um the vent garden uh, the vent garden the vent garden was almost there those like giant plants which have like 
they kind of look like jellyfishes but they're not and you have to like swim up into them to get into them yeah those are impressive the problem with event garden is i never felt like i could see enough of it at once because there is a bit of an issue with draw distance in the game yeah it's not as obvious in this one as it was in the first one but you want to be able to see further but like obviously it's the cloudy ocean so that wouldn't really make sense the event garden i just wanted to see more of it at once because the bits you can see are amazing yeah for sure and i do think as well that the natural evolution of this game, because it already looks beautiful, but the natural evolution is kind of like how much closer to photorealism. Like, it's nowhere near photorealism, let's mm-hmm. be honest. Like, it looks incredible, but it's, it's nowhere near photorealism. And, like, the textures aren't super detailed, I wouldn't say. No, not at all. And equally, there's not a lot of clutter either. So when you're going along a sandy bay bottom or something, not really so much sand in this game, but it's not like there's loads of stuff crammed in. Like, it's all quite spaced out. It's not dense, you know? Mm. And so I feel like photorealism in a game like this, and I'm sure modders are out there working on it already, like with their pimped GTX graphics cards or whatever, but I feel like photorealism could be improved. And when it is, every new iteration of this kind of game is just going to become ever more immersive. Mm. And of course, the next step again after that is VR. The first one definitely had a VR mode in Steam. I don't have a pair of goggles, so I've never tried it out. Me neither. But yeah, like you can see it there next to the game as an option to like download instead of the game. So they must have put some work into it. This game would be awesome in VR. <laughs> yeah. We should get some goggles and do a bit of VR sometime, shouldn't we? Because <laughs> that would be good jokes for sure. Maybe some video game company can send us some goggles yeah. so that we can try their video game. Valve, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> send me an index and I promise I will review Half Life. That's the one, isn't it? We talked about it when we met up recently, didn't we? Is it's just because it's developing so fast, you don't want to invest like, what is it, like 600 quid, 800 quid? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all sorts now. And also, it's that discrepancy. Yeah, you want the best in... one. You want the best one to try. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think you're looking at more than 600 quid for the best one. Because otherwise, you're looking at just the goggles. Uh, so, like the Oculus Quest, for instance, or the Oculus Quest 2, or whatever on now, looks good, but I've got a couple of issues with it. One, it's Facebook, which I fucking hate. And two... Sorry, Facebook, we don't want your sponsorship. (laughs) No, we fucking don't. I'll happily go on the record saying that. And number two... Although I will take (laughs) an Oculus Quest if you want us to review that. Don't don't burn your bridges too quickly. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah, and the other issue is that you don't have the physicality of your hands or anything with an Oculus Quest. Mm. Whereas with... An index, I'm pretty sure you've got finger movement. Like it literally detects your individual fingers. Yeah, for sure. It's just like there's too much variability in VR at the minute, isn't there? It's almost like not standardized enough and not compact enough to feel like a sort of ready Mm. consumer product. That's how it seems for sure. But like the reason we're talking about it is because already in this game, it feels so immersive and you're completely in the world. And you just think, like, if you were in the virtual reality in this, it would, it would be insane. It would be insane experience. Yeah. The bit that I found uh, maybe most breathtaking, one of the biggest creatures in the um, in the game are these kind of whales, I can't remember what their actual name is, out in the iceberg part of the map. There's not much, like, plants and stuff here, but what there are is, like, loads of these whales. I guess it's, like, where they come to mate or whatever. That's kind of what the story I told myself. <laughs> it seemed like that kind of vibe. Like, you know, there were a couple of them, like, cavorting about. <laughs> 
and you could actually I guess because there was less going on in this area you could actually see really far so that felt super epic like right at the edge of the ocean but again like like you said a minute ago resources were pretty easy to come by even diamonds which is kind of meant to be one of the most common ones they're everywhere littered about with diamonds like once you've got past the initial kind of bit of them diamonds are forever they are all i need to please me in this same area i kind of crawled up into the hollow of an iceberg and had to like use my laser cutter to like get this ice sheet down in this kind of like sparkling dark cave which is really small, but there was nothing there for me, apart from loads of diamonds. And I was like, I've already got loads of diamonds. diamonds are forever. So I'd honestly preferred if there was like nothing there, because at least then it was just like, oh, this is nice and pretty. Then it's like, just more diamonds, because that wasn't a reward. I can see every part, nothing hides in the heart to hurt me. Yeah, maybe it's because, no, I mean, if they're just about to release, then they're probably not going to populate it with more stuff. But I honestly think that the audio logs that you find, I think there are more of them and they're really mm. good. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love them. Yeah, like yeah. it's like listening to a podcast. It's like, um, I don't know if you ever heard that podcast series called Homecoming. No. Where you hear sort of extracts from a military guy's return home and he's like speaking to his psychiatrist and through his conversations you sort of mm. learn this subplot about the military doing dodgy unethical things. Oh. Yes, hello. Hi. Walter. Heidi? Yes. Hi. Hi nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Do you mind if I record this to you? Sure, sure. It's just for my reference. Okay. Oh, is that an aquarium? That? Yeah. Um, you like fish? No. <laughs> it was the, the guy I replaced. I think he liked fish. It was like that. You're swimming around listening to a really immersive audiobook about characters that you're sort of getting to know just through mm. the way they talk and the tone of their voice and they're playing games and hanging out at dinner in the canteen and all these kind of things or getting frustrated at the cold or at the fact that they're there in a mining site and everyone else is back at base and they're by themselves and they're feeling lonely or stuff like that all of those things are really good but they're all where you'd expect to find them it's like you get to a base and then you find like five or six or even seven audio logs all in one go mm. and then you swim around you know an empty ocean again and you don't find much else other than mm. fucking diamonds for a while or something like that but I mean, at the same time, does that kind of just make sense? Like, there's not going to be fucking audio logs in every inch of the ocean, are there? No. And it is great when you get to a new base. Like, it's super exciting. Yeah. Like, we've already said the land-based parts of the game don't hit as well as the water-based ones. Yeah. And so it's kind of annoying that, like, two of the main bases and, like, another big section of the map are all on land. And the ending. Oh, is it? Mm. In the first game, there were so many more underwater uh, bases to find maybe about the same number of wreckages, but that had a kind of excitement to it, which definitely the land ones don't. Inside the cave, confirming a whole lot of nothing. Creatures still dead, cave still boring. I miss the mining site. At least you could talk to people. Oh, wait now, what's this? A rock! I found an interesting rock. That makes three this week. At the risk of turning all political and controversial 
we've talked a lot about sound design and we've uh-huh. talked a lot about the amazing well actually we haven't talked a lot about the amazing music but there's amazing music yeah, yeah. which will no doubt be the sound bed for this entire podcast so you should be fairly familiar with it by now yeah, so you can make your way through the biomes of our discussion with the Subnautica soundtrack that is tasty Teo I'll give it you mate that is smooth (laughs) (laughs) the original composer fired at the beginning of this game and a different composer hired so the original guy was a guy called Simon Chalinski and he was fired from working on the sequel back in 2018 after he basically was found to have made a load of Twitter comments that were perceived as hateful and I read them and while some of them were I think probably taking the piss others were definitely very fucking sketchy and I can Mm. see why they were like okay we don't want to be associated with this but his soundtrack to that first game was unbelievable and I'm pretty sure they've used it at least for like the title menu and stuff because it feels familiar doesn't it the music for this sequel yeah I thought the title menu music was identical for sure yeah exactly so I feel like they are still using some of his works but anyway they got another guy Ben Prunty and kudos to him as well because he's the same guy who did Faster Than Light and Into the Breach as well I think you've played those games right? yeah I played both did you like brilliant games brilliant music yeah But yeah, I mainly just wanted to reference that because aside from anything else, the music is incredible, but there have been two composers, um, which I didn't know until referencing this. So I don't think it like has any bearing on the game whatsoever, really. But I just wanted to note that both of them have made an incredible contribution. Yeah, nice. No, I I wouldn't have known that the person that judged the music had changed. Like it seemed totally in keeping with the first game. It creeps up on you on the the music, doesn't it? Between each biome. Kind of like you enter the biome and then there's like a little bit of silence. And then you get a few chords kind of come in and you're like, ah, I sort of, I know where I am now because I associate the music with that place. really nice they do the same thing really well in um sunless seas where there's this like amazing tune that comes in when you arrive back at london from uh, wherever you've been and i don't know like it makes you feel like you're coming home you have the same thing in the shallows here it's like ah my shallows music my sort of comfortable place played sunless seas is it good uh i think you would hate it <laughs> but yeah it's brilliant <laughs> it's so punishing and so slow right. but it's a really really cool narrative game it's one of those ones where it's frustrating a little bit that you have to play the game to get to the story but i did still quite enjoy playing the game but it's not perfect by any means so we've basically managed to avoid most spoilers i'd say throughout this yeah we've done well do we need to put any in uh I think we should, or do you not think we should? Okay, yeah, yeah, why not? Let's hear a bit more of the specifics of the story then, Teo. Flesh it out. Is there some kind of scientist conspiracy going on here? Zeta, Sam, Danielle, you three are suddenly very aligned. You discover like a cast of characters through these audio logs, which is there a little bit in the first game, but nowhere near as much. 
it's kind of like you get to know all of the staff that were there researching the planet previously for Altera. Mm. And it's much more recent, right? Because in the first game, it feels like when you're exploring, what you're exploring is quite ancient history. Whereas in this, you know, it feels like it was happening a couple of months before you arrived. Practically contemporaneous. Yeah, for sure. Like it's just been going on. Oh, I mean, obviously, like you're there to find your sister who was working there and like you're kind of hoping is still alive. Nah, you know she's not from the beginning. Do you know she's not? Well, I mean, you get told she's not. You get told she died in a negligence-related incident. But there's there's doubt thrown on the legitimacy and like authenticity of Altera record keeping, isn't there? Okay, so you're saying that there's there's you were operating under the assumption there's a chance she was still alive. I thought it was quite funny because I thought you're there half to just try and find her, figure out what happened to her, but also. I felt like there was a little bit of like, maybe she's still alive. And there's this funny bit towards the beginning, because obviously you're going to spend a lot of time just like hacking away at stones for copper, (laughs) where Robin, your character's like, I'm sure, Sam, you don't mind if I do a little bit of research scouting around while I'm here. And you're like, yeah, that's going to be pretty much the entire game (laughs) is like not looking for your sister. But yeah, like you were saying, those cast of characters, they all exist in this ultra-corporate environment where everyone's super false. It's like HR runs the world. Yeah. It's horrible, isn't it? I love that, though, that sort of dystopian future capitalism vibe. Mm. I mean, it's not original. It's in basically everything. I mean, and in fairness, I think the reason it's not original is because it's fucking plausible. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, it seems like a highly likely future, especially if you put it in the context of like Musk and Bezos and everyone else. Yeah. It seems entirely possible that the future of space exploration and space colonialism will be dictated by massive corporations. Yeah, and human psychology, like, I'll get onto a good juxtaposition there in a second with the other main point of the story. But the person that exemplifies this, I've forgotten his name, unfortunately, but he's got a really slick silky horrible voice like charming but so obviously false where he's sending an audio log back to his wife and they've obviously been apart for a really long time and he's kind of like i think we should carry on being the best couple we can by staying apart for as long as we can kind of thing (laughs) sort of like i think this is really working for us being apart and together at the same time it's like just putting his relationship in like really businessy terms But that is in opposition to the other main plot point, which is this alien race which you find and which gets forcibly put into your head, which is like a collective organism. So, yeah, do you want to say something about that? Well, yeah, I do, because (laughs) thanks for asking, because it also means that your character is speaking, which was Mm. absent in the first game. So whereas you previously had a sort of silent Gordon Freeman type character in this game, You've got a very vocal character who's constantly having a loud conversation with this other presence that's occupied her head, which now feels weird because obviously she should be thinking those thoughts, but she's very definitely saying them out loud. (laughs) Yeah. I want to meet the people who built this place. What do you want? For you to stay here. With you? Forever. Why? Your masters will seek to harness my path. You've met Altera, then? It is what we would do. People will come for me. They will also stay here. That is all. I waited my life for this. I'm not your enemy. Hello? And so you've got that, but you also meet one of the characters Mm. from the first game, who in the first game is in the archives. She's in the Degassi logs. 
Oh, Teo's looking like, wait, do you? I don't remember this. I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't remember from the first game, so that's really well spotted. So Marguerite, her name is, and she is in the first game in the Degassi logs about the captain who ends up crashing onto the planet, which is like 4546B. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even try and remember the name of the planet in the intro because it's, they're all just numbers. <laughs> It's 4546B anyway. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, they crashed and they end up getting, she was hired as security for him and his son. Their relationship becomes increasingly fractious because obviously they've crashed and they're struggling for resources and she ends up leaving them and they think getting killed by a Leviathan. And then in this game, you hear through her logs that she stayed inside the Leviathan for ages but fought her way out and she's literally right there in front of you and you like chat with her and she helps you in your quest and yeah it's weird like interacting with another living person on this same planet 4546B that you're on that's a new thing for Subnautica what did you think about that because even after playing it while I found it very cinematic and engaging it did feel like a departure. Yeah, you kind of have the feeling, not out of body, but like it feels like you're in a different game because you're so used to just being completely alone. In those scenes where, I mean, it's like Half-Life, right? Where they kind of walk around and you can move around and watch them as they're doing that. They're pretty sure and there's not very many of them. Mm. But yeah, like it feels like it's from another game. But I thought it worked fine. Oh yeah, it, it does. It does mean that you have a bit less of a sense of isolation 100 percent. yeah that's true that's true yeah that's what i was just going to count with as well yeah and i wonder whether the next game they'll revert to just being audio logs just because as much as marguerite's character was kind of cool i also do think you could easily have just got rid of her and the game wouldn't have really suffered. Like, everything she says... In fact, at one stage in her script, you go over and you chat to her, and she says, in person, to your face, if you want to know what happened, there's an audio log over on the table. Yeah. And you're like, just fucking tell me. I'm literally speaking to you. You can't have seen any other human <laughs> in a very long time. So let's have a conversation. But she just directs you to the audio log. And, like, you can't re-engage her yeah. in conversation when she's finished saying what she wants. So she'll be there in the room with you, and you can go over and try and interact, and she just doesn't respond. And I don't know, I feel like that's unnecessary. Just give us the audio logs, really. Maybe let's find a corpse or something like that. That'd be good. I'm all for dead people in games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's another quite tongue-in-cheek moment where you can go up to her and just scan her with your scanner. like you do, you're used to, And she's like, there's more to Marguerite than that scanner is going to tell you. <laughs> It's like, yeah, yeah, but I'm going to scan you anyway. <laughs> yeah. Because I scanned everything. I really enjoyed the script, by and large. I found it balanced a bit of humour with mm. what felt like a, quite a plausible sort of scientific adventure story, really. Yeah. But at the same time, there were moments where I thought they got it tonally way off. Like, there's a moment, not the end of the game, but near the end of the game, where you find the frozen Leviathan, where I found the frozen Leviathan, you didn't, where... One of the logs, you discover what happened to your sister in the exact way she dies and what she did to prompt her own death. And you make a joke about it. Like your character makes a quip. Huh. And I just heard it and was like, what? That's so fucking stupid. Doesn't make any sense. Your assessment of your sister's personality in life does not seem to match her behavior prior to her death. I know my sister. She would never destroy a base. Well, baselessly. 
there's no way she would find that out. And rather than being like traumatized or horrified or whatever, she would make a joke. And then she starts talking about breakfast cereals. When we were kids, I was always the one breaking and rebuilding things. She wouldn't even go into a bake sale without a plan for classic oatmeal cookies, no less. So serious. She wouldn't have anything to do with my molecularly transformed caramel pretzel lumps. Your mind goes easily to food. It was really weird. I was like, I felt like mm. they just hadn't really factored in a wider consideration of the context of that scene. And it was like some writer who thought it'd be funny. That's odd. But by and large, that's rare. <laughs> To be clear. Yeah, that's surprising given um, how much personality of each of these completely absent characters comes through in all these audio logs. Mm. Like, there's, it's pretty straightforward, but there's like a romance that you discover happening between two of the crew from the Mercury, one of the crash landed ships in the sea. And although it's like, it's a bit clunky, I don't know, it's just quite nice. Like, they obviously like each other and then they help each other during the crash. It's so flirty, isn't it? It's like the worst kind of flirting. So laid on thick. Yeah, it's true, maybe it's just bad. But I don't, because it's in such short bursts and you just listen to it when you want, it's like, eh. yeah. And also, like, it's cheesy, but it's kind of sweet and like it feels comforting. Like, you're alone mm. in this world. And then you hear those voices and they're having a very sort of banal everyday conversation and you think, that's nice. It's kind of a little bit of humanity and it is mm. hammy, but it's fine. And one of the things I really like about the audio logs is, and the narrative in general, is it's not linear. So like, because you're exploring the planet in your own sort of way and discovering things, no matter what direction you start in, you encounter something. It means that you're almost getting the story like a jigsaw puzzle and you're sort of piecing yeah. it together from the audio logs. And that's really rewarding mm. as well. And alongside the audio logs, all of the descriptions for everything that you scan in the game is really, really lovingly written. Yeah. With like jokes, and well-described. Like every creature has a kind of like threat assessment level. Yeah. And it's sort of like harm so there's quite a lot of little jokes in those as well yeah i mean when i was reading those i was thinking of control and how you didn't enjoy reading all of the logs and stuff and i read like every single one of these the same every every single one for sure yeah which is again testament to how well put together it is i should say as far as the game creator or leads linkedin profile reports this is a game with 40 people on the team of Unknown Worlds Entertainment, which you may have done the maths and realised that's at least 30 less than worked on Iron Harvest. <laughs> <laughs> King Art Games. Is this going to become a regular thing now? Is it more or less than Iron Harvest? Like, is it a better or worse game? Well, I think we could definitely say it's a better game. That's impressive. That's impressive. But we should reiterate as well, we still don't know the way those 70 people act. King Art Games are divided. We don't know their workload. We didn't know that 69 of them were on Twitter. But that one guy's talented as fuck. Yeah. They've got, as, the, as we know, they have a massive social media presence. All right. Oh, man. Oh, no, it's not messing about. Well, now, let me work out a plan of campaign. Two different worlds, we live in two different worlds. We know I'm in my heart. Ooh, want a chocolate? No, I don't. Two different worlds, we... Ooh, I got it. What? A soft centre. 
And that's according to his LinkedIn. So if someone from the game's listening to this thinking, that's not true. We had like 150. Well, tell him to update his fucking LinkedIn page. Do you know what I mean? The guy's called Charlie Cleveland. They've got a bunch of vacancies on their website for any aspiring game devs. So yeah. There you go. I guess they're expanding. Don't know why I'm shouting that out, but <laughs> Entertainment Podcast and Jobs Board. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we're diversifying. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I haven't talked about, we got onto it for a second, but it was the relationship between you and the alien being that's in your head. And they've got like a collective consciousness and there's quite a lot of good contrast between them as like one for all and all for one society versus like the hyper individualism of human society. And then your character is like a little bit in between and they have like quite a shonky sort of Spock and Captain Kirk relationship, don't they? With like super logical, like superhuman emotional. There's something wrong about a man who never smiles, whose conversation never varies from the routine of the job, and who won't talk about his background. I see. Spock. I mean that it's, uh, it's odd for non-Vulcan. Um, the ears make all of the difference. I find your argument strewn with gaping defects in logic. It's pretty well-worn. Yeah, I mean, can you quickly define shonky for me? <laughs> shonky, like, like you feel like you know what the gags are before they've even... Like, basically, the setup for the gag comes, and you're like, oh, the AI sort of organism is learning about sarcasm. Like, ha, ha, ha stupid AI. <laughs> oh, yeah, man, I hated those bits, though. <laughs> Did you like those? Because I in no, general they were bad. the the hammy jokes are okay, but like the AI human relationship was just felt so hackneyed. Yeah, exactly. It's just too overdone, isn't it? Yeah, totally. At one point, she says something like she's talking about confidence, in, and she says something like having doubts is to be human, or something like that. Like it's uh, it's not that, but it's something equally shit. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, do you know what? I could do less. I, I don't really want my games to tell me what it means to be human explicitly. I kind of want to just figure that out by playing the games and by living my life as a human, of course. But when a game is like, this is what it is to be human, I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, no, it's too broad. Another example of that is the sort of AI organism thing is like, no, we got rid of bodies eons ago because of blah, blah, blah. And she's like... Inefficiencies. Inefficiencies. And Robin's like, but I like my body. It's like, that's what makes me me, kind of thing. If I wasn't with my body, how would I know who I am? It's like, ah. Yeah. But I did think the sort of collective mind versus the individual mind contrast was interesting. More interesting, potentially. More interesting than the, like, what it means to be human bit. Because we are definitely, as you said before, and I feel as well, like, heading towards that ultra capitalist corporate dystopia rather than like a nice cooperative sunny one <laughs> yeah i mean you should read about amazon's supply chain mate if you didn't already you did you sent me the link <laughs> it was scary oh yeah well i'm gonna put it in the show notes it's fucking mental blew my mind yeah if you're worried about dystopian futures read that yeah this is just a game talking about actual life and death stuff. The Oasis, the world's most important economic resource. It's nothing less than a war. We're in control of the future. That was more interesting than the what it means to be human side of things, where it's just like, well, as you say, don't tell me what it is to be human. Yeah, I mean, in general, I think games should just shy away from pseudo-philosophy stuff. Like, if it's kind of subtle or it leads you to think about those broader questions 
in an organic way that feels natural and arises within the context of the story, then that that's all good. And the game's more the better for it and richer, whatever. But when it feels like shoehorned in, like it did in this, then I just think, nah, leave that. Don't do that. <laughs> mm. Stick to your flirting between the lab scientist and the security geek or whatever. Yeah. I think psychology stuff is good. It's just the more broad, like what is the meaning of life stuff? Is that, that's a bit. Mm. too broad one thing I quickly want to shoehorn in is when we were talking about water temperature the thing with the water temperature that I did find a little bit annoying is that in the first game when you're in the water around a hot spring or something the temperature's too hot and you have to get like a certain type of suit to protect you uh, or if you go to I think it's just mainly to do with heat because there's that whole like molten lava layer or biome mm. in the first game. Whereas in this game, water temperature is a factor and you would see it going up and stuff and you can still get a reinforced suit or whatever it's called. I can't remember what it's called. Mm. But I never encountered temperature in the water as ever being a difficulty. Like I swam right next to geysers as they were exploding underwater and unless I was literally in the flume of water, of hot spray. Mm. And even if I was, she'd be like, ah, and then move away. And I'd have lost like five health or something. Yeah. Like temperature wasn't really a factor. Whereas in the first game, when I got out and I was, you know, 300 or 400 meters down and it was near the molten layer, which actually in hindsight is about 700 meters down. I was like, fuck, this is hot. I, I've got to get back in my boat. I definitely can't explore here until I've got the upgrade. Whereas I just didn't find that in this game at all. I don't know what you thought about that. No, no, there, there wasn't any any barrier to entry to any of the places apart from um, depth, you're right. And did you actually manage to uncover some of the places maybe sooner than you felt you ought to have been able to? Like, I definitely felt like I uncovered some of the bases a little bit prematurely. Like, I hadn't unlocked an upgrade to go deep enough, but instead I just swam and swam and swam and got oxygen to oxygen to oxygen. And, like, it kept saying my oxygen efficiency was bad, but there was enough oxygen nearby. And I could see the entrance of the thing I was trying to get to, so I just got there. Afterwards, I kind of felt like I almost brute-forced it. (laughs) Hmm. I did get that feeling a little bit. Like the research base where you scan the nuclear reactor in the lily pads biome is actually not that far down. It's just quite a distance from where you base. So you can get, actually, if you want to, and if you're brave enough, get that pretty early on. Some of the wrecks as well, I, I did before I even had the laser cutter because I could just exhaustively explore them with the oxygen plants, as you say. Um, but that's, that's part of the fun. Though It feels amazing, the game, at those points, doesn't it? There's like a sense of jeopardy oh, in, yeah. in where you're exploring. For sure. I, it's more just a case of, like, I love the jeopardy and I love the risk. It was more just a case of, I sometimes felt like I'd almost cheated the game, like in some ways that I didn't necessarily think were intended. Mm. And like, maybe it should have been a tiny bit harder at those stretches, but not too much. Like I said, the copper mining site, that was incredible and super adrenaline pumping kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But no, like in some, I can honestly say like, the hundred plus hours I've now spent on Planet Four Five Four Six B has been a treat, an absolute delight. Yeah, a a, a brilliant game. If you haven't played it, what the hell are you waiting for? Yeah, Just exactly. Go and play it right now, especially as it will actually be out. But do play the first one first. Oh yeah, you said that. Would I play this one before the first one? Mm, I think I would still play the first one first. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Oh look at that rounding, like full nice. circle. Ending where we began.
Okay, so what's next here? Next up, we have Hitman 3, which is the game that you got in return for Monster Train. <laughs> so obviously all the games we, we jointly agree on, but yeah. some of them we have to bend each other's arms more than others. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about it? Not really. I want to I want to reserve judgment until next time, but I'm obviously looking forward to playing it. I feel like every single one of our podcasts ends with us saying how much we're looking forward to playing the next game. But I mean, it's true. I am looking forward to playing the next game. I mean, I really enjoyed all the other Hitmans that I've played. I'm not a sort of diehard Hitman fan. I haven't played dating way back to wherever. I have seen the films <laughs> for what they're worth, which isn't much. And, you know, I think this is hopefully going to be hit the stealth executioner itch interesting well to me you sound like an ultra fan because i don't think i've played a single hitman game you haven't watched any of the films so yeah i'm, I'm going in with like a, a completely blank mind no idea what to expect really oh fair enough well it does give you a little sort of story summary you won't feel lost entering at number three i don't think plus we all know you love researching your games so <laughs> no doubt there's plenty of lore for you to read up on Oh, wow, yeah, I wasn't expecting there to be any law, so looking forward to that. Oh, look at that, he's sliding the game before he starts it. Yeah, I was expecting it to be so shallow, you're basically just a bold bloke killing people. <laughs> that's basically, that is what I thought. I thought that's exactly what it was. I thought, I didn't think there was anything connecting any of the games or any of them. It was like American History X, but working for a shadowy organisation. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was like a, well, yeah, I don't know, I, I haven't thought about it. But yeah, that's next anyway. Wow, you sounded so vacuous just then. Did I? I thought about it. I thought about anything. I don't know what I thought it was. Didn't think it was anything. Do I think? What is thinking? You know, like, whatever. You know, like, whatever. Yeah, just a bunch of words.